On December 31st, 2019, at 8.38 p.m., Minneapolis police responded to reports of gunfire in the 1300 block of Russell Avenue North in the William Hay neighborhood of North Minneapolis. Once they arrived to the alley, they found 28-year-old Monique Baugh with her hands tied behind her back. She was suffering from three gunshot wounds, two to the chest, one to the head, barely clinging on to life. She was rushed to North Memorial Medical Center. I'm your host, Catherine, and you're listening to Murder and Mediumship. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to apologize to any listeners who had the incredible misfortune of hearing my unedited, uncut version of last week's episode on Dante Barksdale. I was absolutely not feeling well. My throat was still a little froggy. And for anyone who listened to any amount of my coughing, that was not in the final version, but somehow in my exhaustion and not feeling great state of mind, I uploaded the wrong episode. And I'm not sure how, as I thought I double-checked everything. I really thought that I did. And frankly, just listening to my coughing as I was going through and editing it, I was disgusted by how it sounded. So I'm so sorry to anyone who heard that. But anyway, if you did hear it, I'm so sorry. And if if you please, for the love of God, stopped listening, the right version is up and ready for your ears. If you begin to listen to it on iTunes, then if you already began to listen to it, then you have to X out of the app entirely and start it over. I would say that I'm embarrassed, but frankly, I don't really care. (laughs) We're all only human, right? Speaking of being only human, my intuitive development course has launched yet again, and I always say I'm not going to do another, and then about 50 of you ask, and I pop it up again. So still on a sliding scale basis, Intuitive Development 101 for the Super Basic Beginner Ground Level Intuitive Development class starts March 7th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The course runs for six weeks and we meet via Zoom for 45 minutes each week, 45 minutes to an hour. And if you can't make it to the live version, then no worries. The recording is always sent out within 48 hours of class. These are always so much fun. They're super informal. They're very casual. We're guaranteed to laugh together. I can promise you that. If you're looking to dive into your intuition, now is the time. And by the way, I thought this was super well known and understood, but I do private readings. I've had a number of people ask me about this lately, and absolutely yes. So go to katherineannintuitive.com and book a reading or sign up for the intuitive development course. Enough of this stuff already, though. Let's get on to the episode. Just really wanted to be sure to apologize for all of that hacking. Oh my God, it was so terrible. Get out a notepad for this one or a bulletin board, multiple colors of string and some thumbtacks because this one is nuts. Absolutely the stuff that movies could be written about. So Monique Baugh was rushed to the North North Memorial Medical Center, but unfortunately she passed not long after arriving at the hospital. What police didn't yet know was that just hours earlier, her boyfriend, up and cupping, up and cupping, (laughs) up and coming rapper John Mitchell MoMA had been sitting on the steps inside his home on Humboldt Avenue North. His three-year-old was hanging out on the couch and his one-year-old was asleep 
upstairs in in her crib when the front door unlocked and an unknown man in a black mask with one hole for the eyes entered and began shooting at MoMA. He was struck multiple times in the torso and fled upstairs to his one-year-old's room and shouted down to his attacker, I'm dead already. My babies are here. And the shooter left, which I can't believe that this guy didn't go up and like, quote, finish the job. I mean, he literally just assumed, yeah, this guy's gone. He's dead. I shot him a few times. There's no way he's going to make it. And he left. So fortunately, the children were not physically harmed at all. And MoMA called the police around 5.30 p.m. And when they arrived, they found him with multiple gunshot wounds to his torso, covered in blood, and his two young daughters were sitting with him on the floor. Monique's mom, Wanda Williams, was called to be with the kids while MoMA was taken to the hospital where he did make a full recovery. And when I say that Monique's mom was called, this at this point in time, no one knew anything was wrong with Monique. I don't know if they had tried to get a hold of her or if they called her. They called um, Wanda immediately because they knew that Monique was showing a house. I mean, obviously, priorities when your your boyfriend has been shot, the father of your children, I imagine you would leave. But anyway, I'm not entirely sure why they called Monique's mom probably because they couldn't get a hold of her. So when Monique's mother arrived, she noticed that the key that the attacker had used to get into the house and had left behind was actually Monique's key. And I can't even begin to imagine the panic and confusion that must have been consuming her family while all of this unfolded. So what even happened? For that, we've got to go back a few days here. On December 29th, 2019, we all know as pre-COVID, right? Monique received a voicemail from a woman who called herself Lisa Pulaski, requesting to see a house that was for sale at 830 Niagara Lane in the Maple Grove neighborhood, an area with relatively low crime rates, nice houses, and hardworking citizens. It really looks very, um, it, it, they referred to it as a small suburban city. It has like a population of 70,000. It's just outside of Minneapolis. It definitely looks more like um, like a really large suburb to me, for sure, just from looking at pictures. Monique was a realtor with the Chris Lindahl real estate team and an ambitious and driven one. This was a little peculiar to Monique, as usually the agents with her team receive their assignments from the office, not through calls to their personal numbers. But Lisa Pulaski called Monique numerous times, though, and Monique agreed to show her the house in the Maple Grove neighborhood. She had mentioned to her boyfriend and a few other people how she had thought that it was strange to be reached out to directly. However, that next day, a little bit after 11 a.m., Monique arrived in the house in Maple Grove, at the house in Maple Grove with her co-realtor. Now, this is on the 30th of December. At 11.19 a.m., Monique received a phone call again from Lisa's number, and Lisa was inquiring as to whether or not the house had a gas stove or was it electric, and never showed up to her appointment to see the house. So the next day, on December 31st, Monique went back to the house on Maple Grove in an attempt to show the house to this mystery woman again. This time, Monique was alone. She drove over to the house in Maple Grove in her black BMW and pulled into the driveway around 3 p.m. Monique got out of her car, used her realtor code to access the key to the house in the lockbox, and entered the home. 
thanks to a neighbor's security camera footage, because like everybody's got a ring cam these days, authorities could see that only moments later, a U-Haul truck drove past the house and an unidentifiable male, the footage wasn't super clear, walked from the direction of where the U-Haul had been headed to the front door of the house that Monique was preparing to show. A few more minutes went by and then the U-Haul came back and parked next to Monique's BMW. The garage door then opened and the man who had been seen walking in the front door was seen walking out of the garage, getting into the U-Haul, backing out and then backing into the driveway so that the back of the truck was opened to the garage. He walked back into the house and moments later came out closely holding a third person, likely Monique, seemingly with force, and those two got into the cargo section of the truck while the third person got into the driver's side and drove away. All of this took place within about less than 20 minutes. These unidentified men then took Monique's key and drove to her home on Humboldt Avenue North. Once there, one of the men took her key, opened the door, and opened fire on MoMA. At the time, Monique was bound with tape in the back of a U-Haul. She was nearby during the entire ordeal that happened in her home, and she was alive for it. So she had some semblance of understanding that we'll never know exactly how much of what was going on in that home. The U-Haul truck with the Arizona license plates had been spotted at both the Maple Grove house as well as near Monique and MoMA's house. Not only that, but the shell casings found near Monique's body were the same as the ones found in their home where MoMA had been shot. Multiple witnesses in the Maple Grove area told authorities that they had seen an older model tan-colored Buick drive down the alley and then minutes later heard gunshots. I imagine that during all of this, while MoMA was being taken to the hospital and no one could get a hold of Monique, they must have been absolutely terrified. Initially, police suspected that Monique was killed and MoMA had been shot because of a drug rivalry. And just to backtrack here, it wasn't an immediate connection between these two killings or the attempted murder of MoMA and the murder of Monique. There wasn't an immediate connection. These two things happened a little farther away from each other. There wasn't anything that, like, no one knew in Monique's family that she was laying dead in an alley just not even a few hours after her boyfriend had been shot in the home that they shared together. And I had seen conflicting reports, too, that she was possibly staying with her mom at the time, but this, I believe that they all owned that house together. Don't quote me on that. There were a lot of court documents for this case, and I definitely poured over all of them that I could find. And and in some of the custody information, you saw conflicting information about where everyone was living. But anyway, initially it was suspected that Monique was killed and MoMA had been shot because of a drug rivalry between MoMA and another drug dealer. While in the hospital recovering, though, MoMA told detectives that he believed that an old friend of his could have been behind this because of MoMA's recent new recording contract. Of course, Monique's BMW was found at the house in Maple Grove, where it was presumed she had been showing the house to prospective buyers. Inside the residence, one pink press-on nail was found. Now, police had plenty of leads to go on. They had a bitter rap rival. They had a potential drug rivalry a U-Haul with Arizona plates that would be easier to track down, 
And law enforcement was able to actually trace that U-Haul back to a small business in the neighboring area of Moundsview, Minnesota. When they arrived at the location, the truck was sitting on the lot in plain view, easily accessed, unlocked with the cargo door open, absolutely reeking of ammonia. And that wasn't the only thing that was off about the cargo area, though. They also found zip ties and four more pink press-on nails matching the one they found in the house on Maple Grove, where Monique had last been seen. The investigation seemed to just slide together piece by piece. The owner of the business was thankfully very cooperative. When I tell you all of this went down on the 31st and by the 1st, they were arresting people. He told the detectives that he hadn't touched the moving van except to open the cargo door to air it out because of how strong the smell of ammonia was coming from it. He also handed over a few more ties that he found in the cargo area, as well as the rental agreement that had the signature of two witnesses on it. When questioned, they pointed detectives to 41-year-old drug dealer and friend of theirs, Cedric Barry. Barry had asked one of them to rent the truck for him because he was moving to Maple Grove neighborhood. In exchange for their troubles, Barry gave them a small amount of heroin. Fair trade, yeah? This is where it gets kind of crazy kind of quickly, though. Police obtained an arrest warrant for Cedric Barry as well as a warrant to search his vehicle a tan 2002 Buick, registered to his wife, Shante Davis. In his vehicle, they found two walkie-talkies, a black ski mask with one hole for the eyes, 13 baggies of heroin, and duct tape. Barry was arrested on January 2, 2020, around midnight, and charged with second-degree murder in the shooting death of Monique Baugh and the attempted murder of John Mitchell Moma. MoMA maintained that he didn't know Barry at all, while police believed this was a drug dealer rivalry. I'm not sure what to make of this, as MoMA really didn't have any substantial charges. He had a marijuana charge that was later dropped, and he had a possession of heroin charge that I believe was enough to be considered like an intent to distribute, but those charges were dropped. So Momo was certainly the main target here, but why? He theorized that it was because of this falling out with the former friend of his around the record deal, or even because police believed, people believed that it was possible he was a police cooperator or a snitch. Detectives had also received a tip that there had been a paid hit taken out on Momo. Again, over what though? Drugs, rap, both something entirely different. Could it even have been simply because MoMA had been on Instagram flashing wads of $100 bills talking about how much money he had? And truthfully, if you look up his most recent videos on YouTube, he really hasn't learned his lesson because he's still flashing wads of cash around all over the place. Barry's bail was set at $2 million because of his extensive rap sheet that went back 20 plus years. We could go into real serious detail about this, but it would easily add 10 minutes to the episode just to discuss this guy's criminal history. In 2002, though, he was convicted of manslaughter. He's had multiple narcotics convictions and various other convictions from assault, robbery, firearms use and possessions, multiple intoxicated driving charges and and convictions. My assumption is that he not only needed someone to rent the U-Haul for him to keep his identity quiet, but also to actually get the U-Haul with his record. I don't even know that he had a driver's license anymore. I don't know that they would have approved his rental. 
I could also be sincerely naive to think that anyone even checks that stuff. (laughs) But his accomplice, the other man seen getting in and out of the U-Haul and torturing, killing Monique was Barry Davis. Yes, Cedric Barry and Barry Davis. They're also brothers-in-law. Davis fled town. This is Shantae Davis's brother. Davis fled town when shit hit the fan. He wasn't taken into custody until May of 2020 in Cook County, Chicago. Davis was charged with kidnapping and murder for Bao's death, as well as attempted murder for shooting MoMA. According to the order of detention issued for Cedric Berry, between December 29th, 2019 and January 1st, 2020, Davis and Berry's phones were in multiple areas together pertinent to the investigation. Around 8.50 p.m. on the 29th, Barry took the U-Haul and cell phone records showed frequent contact between Barry and Davis. Between the hours of 11.45 a.m. and 8.35, there were zero phone communication or phone calls between the two of them after days of constant back and forth. So to prosecutors, this meant that they must have been together. And the walkie-talkies found in Barry's vehicle may have made that easier to achieve as well. Almost as soon as the U-Haul was returned, around 8.45 p.m. on the 31st, frequent contact via cell phone resumed almost immediately. And then you remember Lisa Pulaski? The number of people involved with this, it just, it's baffling to me. And it's even more mind-numbing that they thought that they could get away with this. Well, her real name is Elsa Segura. She's a former probation officer for Hennepin County, Minneapolis. She was brought into the police department and interviewed on January 14th, just two weeks after the death of Monique and attempted murder of her boyfriend, MoMA. According to the criminal complaint filed against her, the cell phone that made the calls to Monique's personal cell phone was purchased by Cedric Berry just before this whole ordeal went down. There's video surveillance of him purchasing the phone. It appeared that she was the girlfriend of Lyndon Wiggins. And this is who MoMA thought must have put a hit out on him. Segura's former police colleagues verified that it was her voice pretending to be Lisa Pulaski and setting up Monique. And she readily admitted to making the call that was and admitting that it was her voice on the voicemail. Now, What's interesting to me is her last day of work was in December of 2019, and then the last day of the month, she was wrapped up in all of this. And how do you get someone who's working as a probation officer, who's on the, quote, right side of the law, dating this guy, Lyndon Wiggins, who is, he's just this horrible person who has multiple drug charges, multiple DWIs, multiple um, assaults and robberies and batteries, and just like Cedric Berry, like the list just continues to go on. And then you have someone who's supposed to be one of the quote, good guys, who's actually dating him. It just, this blows my mind. But anyway, the FBI got involved in the case as of February 2020. And by then, a fourth person had been charged in the murder and attempted murders of Monique and MoMA. Shante Davis, this is Barry Davis's sister, Cedric Barry's wife, (laughs) got ready, get ready for this confusion, right? She took her husband, Cedric Berry, to take possession of the U-Haul. She also booked a hotel room for them during the orchestration of this murder plot. It was Barry Davis's, her brother's DNA, that was found on the gear shift of the U-Haul, and Cedric Berry's DNA would later be found on the tape that was used to bind Monique in the alley. 
It was determined that Shantae knew or at least had reason to know that her husband, Cedric Barry, committed a criminal act and she provided false or misleading information about the crime. So she was also facing charges. The plot continues to thicken as yet more defendants are added to this lengthy list. A few articles that I read cited that there could be eight or more people involved in the plot to take MoMA's and Monique's lives. Lyndon Wiggins, the probation officer's boyfriend, was the former friend that had, quote, beef with MoMA over the recent record deal. And I really think this was, I mean, he's also a rapper. You can find Lyndon Wiggins on YouTube as well. Um, The thing is, though, that MoMA was making, he was making music with Nipsey, with Nipsey Hustle. He was reportedly seen with people like 50 Cent, like he was actually making a real career out of this. And I'm sure there was some jealousy there and God knows what else happened behind the scenes. Though according to Segura, the conflict wasn't over a record deal, but it was over drugs. Barry and Davis were tried together and both convicted of first degree premeditated murder and attempted second degree murder for trying to kill MoMA. And, you know, in one of the videos that I watched, I have to say, uh, I believe it was Barry was talking to the judge and his with his opportunity to say any final words. And he actually said that he didn't think that the jury did a good job at um, deliberating, nor did he think that anyone did a good job defending him. And the judge basically replied with, he thinks that the jury made absolutely the right decision. There was basically no way he was innocent and that they had seen that through not just circumstantial evidence, but a ton of physical evidence, his fingerprints, the the phone that was purchased, his actual face seen on surveillance footage purchasing the phone. I mean, so many things fell into place to make this. There was no way that anyone had doubt in their mind as they convicted him as that jury. So Elsa Segura was convicted of aiding and abetting premeditated first degree murder, aiding and abetting a kidnapping and aiding and abetting first degree murder while kidnapping. Lyndon Wiggins, I feel like the center of it all for his standing conflict over music labels or drugs or whatever it may be, maybe both, was convicted of aiding and abetting premeditated first degree murder, kidnapping and first degree murder while committing kidnapping. All four defendants received life sentences without the possibility of parole. Shante Davis was supposed to be sentenced in January of 2023. I was unable to find any information on her sentencing, whether it was delayed or not. I'm not really sure. But she was already convicted and found guilty of aiding an offender by being an accomplice after the fact. So according to ABC News 5, she waived her rights to a jury trial and was found guilty in a stipulated evidence trial of only of the only charge that was filed against her. Barry and Davis both appealed separately to the Minnesota Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court upheld the district court decision to join Barry's and Davis's cases together. At Segura's sentencing, Monique's mother, Wanda Williams, read a victim impact statement in which she told Segura that she could have been a hero and warned Monique that the showing was fake. And 10 out of 10, do not recommend watching her deliver her impact statement because it will absolutely gut you to witness. When Wiggins was originally charged in this case, he was already in federal custody for an unrelated incident. And it makes me so crazy that no amount of digging through old, old like articles and old, it happened like barely two years ago, but 
looking through all of these, it's nearly impossible to find more information on these criminals. I just want to know absolutely everything about them. And it was definitely difficult to find more about what Wiggins was involved in, but you could definitely find some information about what was going on with him. So you'll find that in November of 2022, there were arrests made in money laundering schemes being operated on his behalf. He was behind bars and this was going on. For as many violent crimes as Barry committed and was convicted of, he had been let off fairly easily in the past as well. And you have to wonder if if they had received harsher punishments under the letter of the law, would this have happened? Or if they wouldn't have let him go on things like an outstanding warrant when he failed to appear in court and then they arrested him and let him go all in the same day in August of 2019, would he maybe have been admitted to jail and then possibly wouldn't have had this opportunity? Not that I think that it would have stopped it from happening as he obviously was only a piece of this whole insane wheel here, but Minnesota court documents are incredibly easy to access. So I did do a little bit more digging than I had originally anticipated. You know what? I'm done with this episode. I'm ready to deliver. And then I thought, let's just dig a little bit more. What I found was that after Monique's murder, her parents actually filed for joint custody of her daughters. And her parents, Wanda and Frank, are actually separated. They were living separate at the time, but were very capable, they felt, of co-parenting these girls and of giving them a safe, stable environment to be in. Evidently, the girls spent a lot of time with Wanda and with Frank prior to Monique's death as... Momo was on the road a lot recording in 2017. She lived with, Monique had moved in with the girls. She was living with her mom. It definitely was something that um, they all felt was in the best interest of the daughters. So since Monique's death, Moma had only seen his daughters one time for a very brief visit. And this file that this was indicated in was dated for the end of February 2020, nearly two months after Monique's death. No one knew for sure where MoMA was at the time of this hearing, but Monique's father stated he believed that he was in Georgia recording. I know that MoMA isn't on trial here and that he didn't kill Monique. I hope that the little girls who are the ultimate victims of this horrific crime are able to find peace. Monique was deeply loved by so many people. The real estate agency she worked for, Chris Lindahl, created a GoFundMe at the time of her death to benefit her daughters, making her mother... Wanda, the beneficiary. The agency matched the first $10,000 in donations, and almost all local news reports were followed with comments by readers who were work acquaintances or knew her in high school and spoke of how bright Monique shined, how determined she was, and how great her love of her children was. Not long after her death, the world was gripped by the COVID-19 pandemic, and so much news went unreported or underreported. While Monique's death did make national headlines at the time, it's only now in 2023 that sentencing is being wrapped up for some involved in the plot that led to her unnecessary and untimely death. Be careful of who you keep in your circle and be mindful of your surroundings. Next Monday, February 27th, will be another Patreon-exclusive live episode with Q&A after. I can't wait to see some of you there. And until next time, stay safe.